0: All of a sudden like we're the only white people in the area and and the people even though it's their first time eating you, they were just so generous and so grateful mm-hmm. and they just I just found this whole new appreciation for like society like for what I have back at home and for just family life in general and it just it took away any like any worries that we have in college or to do with sport or even injuries all of a sudden that just vanished when you know you have a f- family around just, like, sharing their love and sharing whatever food they have,
1: mm-hmm.
0: you know, with you. And, you know, like, I went with, like, went with, like, a whole bag and I came back with nothing because you just, you can't give these people enough things that you just, I, I was actually, like, balling my head out leaving Thailand because I just didn't want to leave, you know, these people and these people that made us feel so at home. So.
2: This episode of the Smart Athlete Podcast is brought to you by Solpri, skincare for athletes. Whether you're in the gym, on the mats, on the road, or in the pool, we protect your skin so you're more comfortable in your own body. To learn more, go to Solpri.com. Today on the Smart Athlete Podcast, my guest does not have a long list of credentials, but that is underlying the fact that she actually has done a fair amount of things. Um, I think she's just a little bit modest. She is a biomedical engineer and races triathlon competitively. Welcome to the show, Fiona Mangan.
0: Thank you very much, Jesse. Glad <laughs> to
2: be here. So you're telling me you're you're spending time in France right now. So this is another episode where we're shooting across the planet, which is nice. Um, you were trying to show me the kind of scenic, uh, like scenic uh, area you're in off the balcony earlier, but we had a bad mm-hmm. connection. Um, before we were getting going, you're saying you hadn't been there in two years. So what was it like coming back? Um,
0: Oh, like it's it's incredible because we like grew up here. Basically, yeah. every summer we went here as kids. Um, so we're we're in Brittany in a little town called Arzon, um, which is very near to the Port du Croisty which is like a big harbor. Um, so on kind of the northwest of France. So Brittany is kind of it's quite a it's like a Celtic area. So there's actually some um, traditions that are quite similar to Irish traditions or Irish culture because. They have their own language proton and they have like their own like dress styles and like dances and you know food and things. So it's it's a really, really French area. Um and it wouldn't be as touristy as like South France. And I'm lucky enough that a lot of my family are from here. And so we have I have my grandparents have a holiday apartment here that we spent so they've had this apartment here for the last like 50 years. And my mom and her sisters would have spent time here and then we spent time here as kids and so we got to know like all the other kind of families on the beach we always met up every summer came here and um no I really enjoyed it and so I haven't been here for the last two years so it's like so comforting to come back Mm -hmm. I feel like you know you're just stepping back into your own home house again and yeah it's so nice and relaxing and all you have to worry about is getting the baguette every morning
2: (laughs) (laughs) so you I mean is that where you spent all your holidays or did you go anyplace else
0: no so we used to like come here for about two weeks and then my parents were big into camping so my parents are big hippies really so when we were i think i was like nine and dad decided to convert a big red barry's tea van so barry's tea is a very popular tea in ireland Um, and they'll know you know what i'm saying is it's it's a big red box the tea
1: Mm -hmm.
0: you know the tea box and so we got a big red van so it was the barry's tea van And he converted it into a camper. So I have two little sisters. And uh, from then on, we went camping every summer. So we take the ferry over, come here for two weeks, and then travel all around France um, with the bikes and everything packed up. And so, yeah, no, we used to go. We kind of, sometimes we went into Italy and Switzerland, but mainly in France. Uh, So my mom is, because my mom is French, she kind of, she thought it'd be a good deal. She'd live in Ireland for most of the year and then we'd spend two months in France every year and um and dad loved it because dad the so dad's a big triathlete um as well so he only loved coming to France with mm. his bike and he'd leave us for the day do his training and so yeah and it was I think it was a good for all for everyone and we enjoyed it as well not the sport part we enjoyed making friends drinking <laughs> French wine
2: <laughs> running away I mean a lot of it, it seems like it's like cultural differences because like kids around here will ride bikes but I don't think they ride bikes like you would in in France or I don't know how the weather is in Ireland whether it's conducive Mm. to riding bikes all the time but
0: yeah no you wouldn't have like I personally as a child I hated cycling um because like our parents would make us go on like family trips like all of us on the bikes, all the helmets on, like the helmets were not cool. I was like, Mom, I'm not wearing this big <laughs> ugly thing on my head. And so like back in Ireland, I never went cycling, like, because, you know, my friends would see me with a helmet on, like, that's not cool. Um, and then in France, I would go because I was like, okay, we're in France, I'll go. But like, we're not going for more than an hour. And um, But yeah, like the weather in France is perfect for cycling, especially we would camp a lot around the Alps. And so you'd cycle around like Lake Annecy and... Um, it's just some gorgeous like views and scenery, which I didn't appreciate at all at the time, but mm-hmm. I can imagine and when I, I've been back now as an adult, I guess, and just, yeah, it's absolutely, it's heaven like going cycling around there. You just want to go out with your bike every day. But um, I think, yeah, I think cycling is definitely more popular in France than it would be in Ireland. In Ireland, it does rain a lot um, for kids. Um, but as in that being said, in the last few years, actual road cycling has become so popular. Mm-hmm. I mean, it's a, it's, it's a hobby now. Like my mom has taken up like proper road cycling and she would never have done serious. She only took up sports when she was like 45.
1: Mm-hmm. So she's
0: took it, taken up cycling now for the last few years. And it's just amazing to see big groups out. Instead of going to mass on Sundays, people are out on their bikes. So there is <laughs> a huge, there's a change in culture as well that's occurring mm-hmm. in Ireland that I think France had anyway before. Yeah. Mm-hmm.
2: I was like envision, just masses like everybody. I, I obviously this is oversimplified, but I was envision just Europe as a whole because you know we're dumb in America and we're all, all our states are one big country, <laughs> so we just think of Europe as a big thing, even though it's not. Um, it, it just everybody cycling because you know I like I watch the tour and I will watch some other yeah. grand tours besides the Tour de France, and. um you know, you have guys that are from all these different countries. So, I just just imagine everybody cycles everywhere. And then there's some people that are just really, really good at it.
0: Yeah. No, and that's a good, like, I mean, Germany as well would be very big into cycling and all the like Mm. Central Europe countries, but Ireland is still quite, you know, it's like between England and America. So, you know, we're very much influenced by, definitely influenced by America as well. Mm. So, I think like even the way we eat and and um, things like that are quite similar to the u k and america so i think but but the thing is i don 't know if you, in in Ireland our two main sports are hurling and football, which are national sports, and so
1: mm-hmm.
0: when you grow up as a child you 're either doing one or the other or both, and so it 's very rare to get into cycling or competitive swimming or running it 's like no you're doing two you're doing one of these two field sports, mm-hmm. so my community was very popular, like football was what my village did, so Gaelic mm-hmm. football. And right. Gaelic football is a mixture of like volleyball, basketball, rugby, soccer. It's played with like, it look, what well, looks like a football or a soccer ball, but what, what you'd know as soccer. Right. Uh, it's played on a, on a pitch the size of a rugby pitch. And you've got two goal posts in the net. If you hit the ball in the net, that's three points. If you hit the ball over the posts, that's one point. And it's played by hand. It's very much... I don't know if you've ever I guess it's a mix of American football as well and Australian football if you've ever seen that I was actually gonna
2: say yeah like footy but yeah
0: yeah um and so you can hand pass it you can foot pass it or kick pass it you can run four steps with the ball but you have to either bounce it or kick it to yourself Mm -hmm. um and that's called like soloing so if you want to run up the field with the ball you have to kick it to yourself every like four steps Mm. Um, and then you can pass it on so it's quite like football is it's quite a physical sport but it's quite it's quite fast Um, it's played I think it's like 35 40 minutes a side and um, and then you've got 15 players and then hurling is played with sticks so it's like hockey in the air is how I describe it
1: okay and
0: um, and it's the fastest field sport in the world and that's that's really incredible skillful sport to to watch um, and you play with a, a ball called a schlitter um, which is it looks like a tennis size of a tennis ball but it's a little bit heavier and uh, and you pass that ball around using your your hurley, which is like I guess your your hockey stick in the air mm-hmm. but it's it's a, it's a wooden it's a wooden stick um so yeah, so when you grow up you're you're playing one of these two sports. so I got into football at I guess around I was like nine and I played that all the way up until I was 19. Um, and I, I mean I love football that was was such a team sport I played with my club and then I played with my county which is like the next level mm-hmm. and you don't really go past that because you don't play for Ireland because no one else really in the world plays football <laughs> actually that being said a few American teams do come over sometimes mm-hmm. and a few European teams but um, you really play at county level and so that that's our two main national sports so I think when it comes back to like cycling and for me, they were kind of unusual sports to take up as a child. Mm-hmm. Um, now running, cross-country running w- would have been popular and and then competitive swimming. But that being said, we were from a rural village, so we didn't have um, like a competitive pool nearby. The nearest pool was probably like 13 minutes away. So, you know, that's not, that's not convenient to do that. So pick up the next sport that's around you. Yeah. And same with the running clubs. They were kind of further in the city. And so you got your sport by running around the cattle fields uh, and playing football.
2: <laughs> yeah, I mean, I think a a pool is like the biggest thing that holds a lot of people back from being yeah. able to do triathlon. It's like okay, you can you can get like a cheap bike, mm-hmm. just or just a bike you'd ride around, not just like a competitive bike, and you can compete. But if you don't yeah. have the ability to get in and swim, then yeah. Like, that makes it very, very difficult. And most people don't live in a climate where you can just like go to the lake and swim all year. No. Yeah. So, it, yeah, it, I think that's the thing more so than like triathlon is known for being as expensive as you want it to be.
0: Exactly. Yeah.
2: But it, it, money aside, because you can get into it cheaply, a pair of running shoes and a cheap bike. Yeah, if you don't have that pool, then mm. you're, you're sunk to start. <laughs>
0: Yeah. But I think even as a child, like, you you know, I don't think triathlon even comes into your, your language. I mean, you know, it's not like, I mean, that being said, now I see a lot of young people getting into it. Don't get like, I think it's getting so popular and big between in in the young generation or like in kids in school and they're bringing in lots of kids programs. But like, I had never, if it wasn't for my dad doing triathlons, I would never have heard of it. Mm -hmm. And, and that being said, like, dad doing triathlons was like you know, we used to just get, it was like us getting dragged along to competitions you know, I never saw it as something that I would ever do, as in it was more like oh, this is dad's thing, This it was like his job, it was like mm-hmm. that's you know, that's dad's second job, you know and yeah. it, it was just normal, you know, he had all his bikes in the garage and like I'll never forget, like we'd go with him to some competitions and we'd help maybe give out the water and like my little sister we were at a Kilkey triathlon called Hell of the West, which is it's an Olympic triathlon in the west of Ireland, and it's 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 quite a tough one because the sea, the open water swim. You know, you run off from the beach, and it's an amazing race to do, but it's quite hilly and it's quite rugged. It's
1: mm-hmm. you know, it's
0: quite a it's quite a famous one, but I'll never forget we were giving out water, and my little sister, I'd say she was only like five or six, but she was giving out the water, and some track you know, faculty tra- came by, kind of hit off the water bottle, and she just went flying. And we were just like, whoa, triathletes are scary. Like, you know, we were just...
2: Oh, was he running or on the bike?
0: Oh, he was... No, he was running. Okay. <laughs> yeah. But, like, he didn't even see him. Like, my sister was, like, like, so tiny. And not his fault at all. But she just went, like, flying. And we were like, oh, yeah, no, triathletes are vicious. <laughs> you know? <laughs> and we just, like, we just used to be so shy. Like, Dad would bring the three of us along to, like, different races and... Mm. know we do everything to not be associated with the triathlon (laughs) you know we go off and like read our books or do our makeup or our hair and but like doing sport or there was some like kids pro you know kind of mini races on sometimes and like there Mm -hmm. was no way we were doing them we're like no like that's not cool (laughs) so
2: so, I mean how do you make the transition because so you go from you go from like absolutely no way, like that's Dad's weird job, <laughs> yeah. to okay now Obsession. I'm doing this and I'm pretty competitive.
0: Or we'd say the other thing we, our mom would probably slag about is like whenever any of us got angry or it's like do a dad on it, go for a cycle, you'll come back better. <laughs> mm. But it was like, um, I guess so. When I got into college, I started I kind of stopped playing football because I moved away up to Galway and I wasn't with my home team anymore. Um, and I didn't really want to go into a new team with like a new bunch of girls because I was so close to my girls back at home and so I started just the first year in college just kind of running just to kind of keep fit and then going into the pool and doing a few lengths and you know I had done I mean it's not that I'd never swam before I did swim a little bit when I was a kid and like did some like life-saving courses and you know mom got us to swim just so that we'd know what to do from crawl and breaststroke and things like that and then after that first year in college, um, oh, I started doing spin classes and I thought they were really fun. Mm-hmm. And then dad, then one weekend, was like, "Oh, you should, you should come do a triathlon." Um, and I was like, mm, "I don't know." And he was like, "Oh no, you'll do. Please come. Um, like you can have my old bike." And I was like, "Okay, hey, might as well." I think I just had nothing else to do that weekend. And we were so I did the triathlon and didn't really enjoy it (laughs) I was like yeah this is fine this is fun you know just did it for it's great but I was just dead after it I was like like this is torture but then kind of there was something in me that I was like but I know I can be better because you know I could I can be better at running and I haven't really swam that much so I could do a few more lengths in the pool instead of doing 10 lengths every time I could do 20 (laughs) and you know so you got that kind of like
1: edge that like
0: post triathlon notions PTN disorder where it's like Mm -hmm. oh now I I didn't climb a mountain after that you know that kind of way it's like oh, I can get better at this and then we went skiing for a week as a family and I was snowboarding and I tore my kilos so after like all that like hype up and that kind of brought me down I was like oh no so I was injured for like I'd say three four months And so then I started like doing a bit of cycling and more swimming because um, I couldn't really run on it. And that was the summer. So that was end of second year college. And that was the summer that I went to um, Thailand then backpacking. So I was just like, okay, fine, just going to give sport a break now. And we went backpacking with my friend for about two months to Thailand. We flew into Bangkok. We went all up into the North Chiang Mai and into the South kind of did a kind of volunteering on organic farms for like three quarters of it. And then the other quarter we were kind of, I guess, holidaying around and doing kind of the touristy things. But that was really fun. And then I came back and that's when I got my scholarship to go to America. And I came to Georgia Tech and that was like end of August. And at that point, I think I had done a lot of like in Thailand you know you're kind of in a rural area in um in a completely different part of the world that I'd never been and you're seeing things I like I've never seen before you're seeing tiny little communities you're getting lost like we rented motorbikes and we got lost for like a couple of days in the mountains where we thought like we'd never find like civilization again
2: and and, I think I, I mean. You're, nobody speaks. Nobody. So the language is tied, English yeah. or French, in your case, since you. No, you know and both. I was
0: always used to being in a country exactly where I could speak the language, so I kind right. of took that for granted. And here, all of a sudden, like we're the only white people in the area, and and the people, even though it's their first time eating you, they were just so generous and so grateful, mm-hmm. and I just, I just found this whole new appreciation for like society, like for what I have back at home, and for just family life in general. And it just, it took away any like any worries that we have in college or to do with sport or even injuries, all of a sudden that just vanished when, you know, you have a family around just like sharing their love and sharing whatever food they have,
1: mm-hmm.
0: you know, with you. And, you know, like I went away like went with like a whole bag and I came back with nothing. Cause you just, you can't give these people enough things that you just, I, I was actually like bawling my head out leaving Thailand. Cause just didn't want to leave you know these people and these people that made us feel so at home so with woofing what you do is it's, it's working on organic farms so you work as a volunteer and in return they give you their food and their accommodation and we learned so much like we learned um like how to grow bamboo and we built like these little huts for a farm for their animals and mm-hmm. um all these little things and the kids were just like so cute like we kind of climbing up on top of you and there was just the two of us me and my friend leanne and so like we were it's not like we're big strong men being able to like move bricks for like the whole week but we were doing every little thing like like gardening and um one of the grandmothers gave us these little bracelets and she said like these are you know these like they're like safety bracelets and I didn't take it off for like two years um so yeah I think that that summer changed me quite a bit and, and I came home and I had the scholarship for an America for America and I was like this is all this is fiction like you know it just didn't feel like real for me like mm-hmm. real life is when you're you're surrounded by your, your friends and family and it's like I felt I feel like I'm running away again going to America and trying to mm. just have something on paper maybe because for me America was still not real it was like something I'd seen on the TV and yeah we went a week when I was younger when we stayed at a farm um, but for me America is what I'd seen in the movies I was like is this even a real place so so I went to America and it was definitely like one of the best things I've ever done
2: <laughs> so I mean what what so what I guess what is the portrayal of America from
1: from, from a growing European up point like of what view.
2: yeah so like what do you I guess from your point of view like what did you prior to spending time here I mean what what did you think America was
0: I just felt like Coming from Thailand, that I was about to go to something that's complete on the opposite spectrum. That, mm-hmm. where, well, like f- first of all, it was like, Mom, what am I going to eat in America? <laughs> like, you know, <laughs> like, I don't like McDonald's. <laughs> you get that like initial kind yeah. of image where it's like I'm going to get poisoned by the food and like I'm going to be eating GMOs all day. But I mean, put putting that aside like, I just think it just, it didn't, it wouldn't feel like reality, you know,
1: because mm-hmm.
0: for me, American America had this like picture of perfection. You know, when you, when you watch movies and you see people on TV that are American, like for me, the way they act and when the way they speak is like perfect. And, and that's TV. And then you go back to your like normal life, you know?
1: Mm-hmm.
0: And, and I guess it, it just seemed so big. It just seemed, so big that I felt like going over there I'd be completely lost. And yeah, no, but I guess yeah. I don't know, it's just it just it didn't feel real. It's just it didn't feel like a country. I feel like I, I wasn't going to a real place. You know, and right, basically right. it felt like I wasn't gonna to go to America until I was actually there. Yeah. You know? Um so so how yeah how we long arrived is the flight? To, to Atlanta it's about nine hours from Dublin.
2: And usually, um, are you just sleep in the whole way, or are you like sitting there nervous and not.
0: Yeah, so I was lucky enough because my dad's my dad's brother is an uncle. Uh, my sorry, so my uncle is my <laughs> so with Air Lingus. And I mean, this is the thing in Ireland; it's like it's it's very much like you know family connections and who you know and all this kind of thing. But um, you know, that's one of the things. I was like, when I'm in America, who am I going to ring if my car breaks down? You know, things mm-hmm. like that. Like, who helps you over there? Whereas um so I went over with Erlingus and I was put into first class by my uncle. The the first and only time though, because he was like, That's it, now you're not getting spoiled again. Um so it was lovely. I had a lovely big chair to myself and
1: uh-huh.
0: um lovely meal and everything. So yeah, no, I was able to sleep well enough and we got to got to Atlanta and it was like forty degrees heat. I couldn't deal. We were like it was just so humid couldn't believe it like this is like middle of August and we had come from Ireland where max temperature is like 18 degrees sorry mm-hmm. this isn't Celsius so, yeah I think 40 generated. degrees
2: like 100, 100, 40,
0: 100
2: 40 is over 100 or, yeah. yeah somewhere around there
0: it's just really really hot um, but then it stayed around like the 30s for like a good while um, but yeah we got to Atlanta and we, we were actually staying we, we just didn't want to stay in student accommodation on campus like me and my friend were like we want to do something different and we actually stayed in like a fraternity house like an old fraternity house a little bit off campus um so it was kind of like a shared accommodation um so we got in there and we were just like just felt so innocent or something to like this this big city um and then Georgia Tech was like really nice it's one of the ni- like one of the nicest colleges I've ever been to Mm-hmm. Um, or even visited and I couldn't believe that we were studying here for a whole year. I'd say we were the only Irish people in the perimeter like because Atlanta is you know if we went to Boston or New York or even like LA or San Francisco you'd always meet Irish people. Here we didn't meet any Irish people at all mm-hmm. so a lot of the Southerners were like because you're so exotic <laughs> <laughs> and we were like so are ye. <laughs> but this, I don't know in the South in the South everyone's so like laid back and you know, there wasn't too much, once they they got your Irish, it was just like, okay, that's it. Whereas I think in other parts of the world, they're like, like, you know, you kind of get that. I know it's a stereotype that Americans are like, you know, love the Irish and, um, we'll be like, oh, please keep talking. We love your accent and things like that. Where in the South, they were just like, oh, you're Irish. Oh yeah. Cool. You're exotic, but like, we'll take that, Do you know?
1: Yeah, yeah,
0: And so, yeah. So then like Georgia Tech itself is is a pretty tough college. And so it took us a while to get into kind of continuous assignments and mm-hmm. kind of way the school works there because we have like big exams at the end of the semester where it's much more like weekly week by week in Georgia Tech so we're mm-hmm. like constant Like in Ireland you're kind of you don't really do anything for the first few weeks of college and then the last like month it's like oh damn we've these massive exams okay head down let's do this whereas in America it was like constantly exams every week which actually there's like benefits and you know yeah. Constable. Um, but in the end, I, I really liked like the way they did in Georgia Tech. Um, so, yeah, and I guess there was no football over in America. So I said my key had completely healed at this stage in September. And I don't know, I just kind of think even after like my whole summer in Thailand, my summer before in Paris, working as a waitress, I was just like, I want to do something completely different and actually focus on it now for a couple of months. And and that's when I joined the triathlon team in Georgia Tech, um, and and I guess that's when I realized that triathlon is actually a cool sport because people my age were doing it, and it wasn't just something for the middle-aged men. And I know that's like the thing you always hear, you know. Triathlon. Well, it is,
2: I mean, it is a sport for middle-aged, middle-aged men. There are a lot yeah. of middle-aged men. Yeah, they instead of going and buying a red sports car, they go and buy a red expensive bike that just costs just as much as a sports car
0: yeah and then they
2: start working out
0: yeah exactly and like all of a sudden here these were college students just as broke as me attempting triathlon and um i really enjoyed it and we got like to do a few camps that were just that were really really fun and kind of did like so like i was still kind of i kind of still wanted to run a bit more because you know you just get that edge where you've been off running for a few months And it's like, oh, all I want to do is just get back into running. So, Mm -hmm. that was like my primary focus. So, I joined the running club there. And then I was kind of, I was doing the triathlon team as well, of course. But I was kind of more focused on the running. And like in the space of, I'd say, eight weeks, I was at like a 28-minute 5K. And I went down to a 20-minute 5K. Mm
1: -hmm.
0: And I was like, okay, I'm going to keep going at this. And I really enjoyed it. And then, then, then my hips started to be sore. (laughs) oh no here we go and um had like re I I did a cross-country race and did pretty well in that and then like a week later my hip was getting really really weird um I like to this day I still don't know what it was but it it put me out of running for like I'd say four or five months so Mm. that was like all of Christmas January February March and so that's when I just started like cycling and swimming like way more. Mm-hmm. And I really got into like, I, I don't know if this, is, if this is more of an American thing than an Irish thing. Maybe it is. But in America, people are just so focused. And maybe it's even a college thing, or even a Georgia Tech thing. But I found that like everyone was doing, okay, you're doing a degree, well done. But you, know, you also need to be part of this society and doing these sports and excelling and all these different things. So, you can build your CV so much.
2: Yeah. I don't, know if, in I don't Ireland, know if it's exclusively American, but I know yeah. that, yeah, that's, it's definitely not just a Georgia tech thing. It's very much like that's in, for us. That's almost instilled from childhood that like, yeah. if you want to get into a good college, you need to have good grades and you need to be involved in five clubs and you need to do three sports and, and, exactly, and just yeah. it just stacks on. Yeah.
0: Yeah. Whereas I've never seen that in Ireland In Ireland, it was like, Oh, if you're, if you're sound like, you'll get through, you know, and mm-hmm. it was very rare that you'd find someone that's really good at sport and music and, uh, college, you know, mm-hmm. uh, there's much more an emphasis on how, how you are in society and like, you know, how you get how your family gets on with people and, you know, things like that. Whereas mm-hmm. I just don't think there's as much pressure to be, to excel in certain things, uh, as there is now, maybe that's just me coming from a rural, you know, part of Ireland. um, mm-hmm. Like kind of the countryside and stuff that, like, you know, even even the fact that my dad, did tri- my dad was probably the only triathlete in our village, you know, as in every he was the only one out on his bike on the roads, and everyone would know, oh, that's John on the bike,
1: mm-hmm. you know,
0: like it wasn't a done thing. Whereas coming to America, like, just having all these like things under your belt was just just the norm. So I think my competitiveness tried to like match with that. So when I got to Georgia Tech, I was like oh my God, what have I, what have I been doing in my life? Do you know, it was that kind of like slap in the face. Mm-hmm. And I was like, okay. And especially when you're hanging around with triathletes, it's like, oh, there's so much out there. There's so much more to do. And I was like, mm-hmm. okay, this is it. I'm going to get into this sport and do all these different things. So I think that's what, when you, I guess you, you are influenced by your peers. And one of the things we say with my friends is like, you're the average of the five people around you. Right. Right. So yep. all of a sudden I had five <laughs> amazing American triathletes around me, let's say, and it was tai like, a, oh,
2: very team. competitive.
0: Yeah, yeah. Yeah, exactly. So I think that's what kind of pushed me through. And so I really got into swimming and biking and actually the bike I picked up pretty fast. Um, a real like, we were going around the smoky mountains uh, on our training camps. So that's like North Georgia and like killing it on the like downhills and, yeah, they were just a really really good group of people that mm-hmm. I was with and I just really enjoyed it so yeah I couldn't couldn't complain there um but at the same time we'd come over on you know for this was our only year in America so every weekend we were still going out drinking quite a bit mm-hmm. you know with my Irish friend Katie and it wasn't as if like it was like the week I was American and at the weekend I was like back to being Irish again. <laughs> so it was, and that, that was kind of the like schedule we got into. Like get all your, get all your work done, get all your training done all the week and then still go, still go mad at the weekend. Mm-hmm. Um, and so we went traveling and did all these different things. But at the end of it, I did my first uh, intervarsities in Tuscaloosa in Alabama um, with the guys. And that was my first draft legal race, mm-hmm. uh, which I found so, so fun. But, that being said probably um just probably didn't have the skills or the techniques to properly execute the race as i guess i would now
2: this um, is a lot more technicality with the draft legal race i mean oh, you have yeah. to be 80. you have to swim just like hell to get on yeah. the bike and then you yeah. need that you need the technical skills on the bike to stay in your group so
0: yeah it's just like it's just like you're fighting for the whole way through yep it's like like I don't know rave nearly like the swim is like I'd say swim would still be my weakest now just not having probably swam as a child and not having done like you know the six seven sessions a week um which I which I'm going to start now in September but I guess that was just like just survived the swim and then so I was like one of the like last ones going out of the swim and then I moved up to one of the like first groups on the bike because mm-hmm. I just like was like, and I was on a bike that was way too big for me. I think Bryce's friend gave me his bike because it was an aero bike. And I was like, apparently, this is faster. So, getting get on top of this and way too big. But still, so I was just like, I'm going to go. And I just, I really enjoyed the bike. And the draft league was fun because all of a sudden the girls start like grouping up. To, once you get into a group, everyone mm-hmm. starts working together. And it's like, yep. hey, wait, I'm competing against you. But like, y- yet yeah, all of a sudden we're friends for this, like, 30 minutes or whatever
2: small, yeah small yeah. section where you're gonna work yeah. together to try to get away from everybody and then yeah. it's it's everybody for themselves
0: yeah i love i love those dynamics like in a race and i always say like every race is such a different story to tell i don't know about you but not one of my races has been the same as another race and there's always mm-hmm. always learned something different from a race you know i or, or always come out of it being like you know like just got a completely different feeling out of every race which is I guess what I like about triathlon is that I get bored quite easily, as you can see, because I jump from things to things. But <laughs> triathlon is the one thing I've actually stuck with now for the last few, two years, I guess. So mm-hmm. just because it never gets boring.
2: <laughs> so, um, one of the things I was, I was curious about is like, how how did the, you're telling me before we cut recording about um, applying for your study abroad, because you're at, um, Galway mm-hmm. studying, and then there's a study abroad program. so like
1: mm-hmm.
2: you're saying only a few people get to go. like what, what what were the criteria? like how did you know how did you get picked, I guess, or the opportunity to come?
0: Um, so I guess yeah, my year in biomedical engineering, there was about 70 of us and four were to get picked. So I, initially it's based on your results, and then you go through three, three or four interview processes. Mm-hmm. And so then there was, there's four places. And so two people got to go to Purdue and two got to go to Georgia Tech. So really they interviewed you like, okay, it's one thing getting the results for it. But another thing is like, you know, do you have the, I guess, characteristics to be able to go abroad for a year? Mm-hmm. And for some reason, I was able to convince them in that interview. And <laughs> um, I guess one of the things is like, I lived away from home anyway, um, because I guess one difference as well between maybe Ireland and America is that in, in Ireland, we're always close to home. So if you go to college mm-hmm. in Dublin, you're only like max three hours away from your home house. But mm-hmm. most people actually end up going to college right near their house. So you end up staying at home. Whereas I know in America, a lot of people go away for college and mm-hmm. they don't come back for like four or five months. So I, I guess finding people that had gone away. So I'd gone away to Galway, which is an hour and a half away from my house. But still, that's still considered like, you know, you're traveling for college. Mm-hmm. Um, so that was, I guess, one of the things that helped to push us through and, um, I just, I guess I was, I've been top of my class for last, for for every year in college as well. So that helped to get me, um, the place in America. And then in, afterwards, then my placement in Boston Scientific, where I worked for a few months after that. What did uh, you do there? So there I was working with, um, Heart Falls and so I was investigating the classifications of in your aorta. Um, and actually it stemmed from, I worked in Georgia Tech in a lab in um, in a fluid mechanics laboratory in Dr. Yogan Aitin's lab where we were actually making um, a radial transducer. So to, in order to calculate the, your annular forces in your, so in your, you know, your aorta, so that's like a valve in your heart. Mm-hmm. We were, we created a transducer to measure the forces of the aorta. And okay. so when you put in a heart valve, you know, there's obviously certain sizes based on the geometry of your aorta, but you also mm-hmm. want one that will actually mimic the forces of your natural um, annulus as well. And so that's okay. what, one of the things we were investigating. So that followed through when I got a placement in Boston scientific then from that, um, which is great to so, did that for like a whole summer. Um, and I guess at that point I got into a routine of working on my placement and then training. And I guess that was my first summer competing in the triathlon Irish series, which is the national series we have here at home. Mm Um, so yeah, that was just, that was my end of third year before getting into final year.
2: Well, I saw, so I'm hoping you can tell me a little bit more about it when I was, um, you know, trying to do a little bit of background research, I saw, I'm, gonna, I'm sure I'm going to say this wrong, is it is it Loci where you work now?
0: Yeah, Loci, Felix. So, um, yeah. So,
2: can you tell me a little bit about what they're doing? Uh, I looked into it, but I think it'll be probably easier for you to explain what they're doing. <laughs>
0: um, yeah, so I guess uh, I joined a startup company in September, and so there's only three of us. There's a doctor and two engineers, and what we're making at the moment is a treatment for thumb-based arthritis. So um, it's very common, actually 30% of women over the age of 60 get this disease. And it's, it's very painful um, and affects it affects a lot, of, a lot of women, also a lot of men as well, and it affects how you perform your daily activities. And, and at the moment, surgery, I guess, is the prime option. In order to fix this, but it doesn't, it's not ideal. And what we're making, we're a biomedical implant, so, so we're companies are so we're making an implant. And so so you have your you have your hand,
1: mm-hmm.
0: and in your hand you have, or in your thumb, you have two bones that articulate, your metacarpal and your trapezium.
1: Mm.
0: And so thumb-based arthritis is when these bones here start to get degenerate and them rubbing against each other causes a lot of pain. Right. And so at the moment, one of the solutions is to take out the trapezium. And so you still have the range of motion, but you don't have that same force as you would have if you had the two bones together. I'm... And otherwise, there's other things like ligament reconstruction, and when you take out the bone, you you'd try and like sew up your ligaments again to get some sort of range of motion. And otherwise, there's a total arthroplasty implant where you, you it's init, it's like you're kind of fusing both bones together. And so get then okay. you have a, a thumb that's kind of doing this, like that's very strong but just you're not getting the total range of motion. So sorry implant is essentially a two axis implant that allows you to give you the whole range of motion and that strength as well. Mm -hmm. So that's I guess the initial or kind of basic summary, quick summary of it. Um, So I've been working with them since September and we work with a lot of surgeons based in Stanford and Brown and KU Leuven in Belgium. Um, So it's one of those jobs where every month you're traveling. Every week you could be traveling. So I started in September, and they were like, "Oh, we're going to Boston next week." I was like, "Okay, cool," (laughs) for a conference, and then um, yeah. So we're back and forth doing different trials, and are they based um, in Galway? We're based in Galway, yeah. Okay. Exactly. So we're based. Actually, we're based right opposite the university. Um, so I didn't really move too far away. (laughs) Yeah and yeah so it's it's been it's been quite a roller coaster so far because with a startup company one minute you think everything's going brilliant and then the next minute it's like it goes downhill again so it's like yeah <laughs> it's like an ECG kind of diagram. yeah
2: do you see um I mean so I've not worked in a like a VC backed startup I have mm-hmm. my own companies which I've it's referred to as bootstrapping, where I basically take them from zero to profitability with mm-hmm. no money at all. Yeah. Um, but I've not worked in an environment where like there's funding that comes in. Do you know, like, especially I would think in biomedical, it, that it's gonna take some time to develop, you know, develop whatever your apparatus is in your case with the the thumb implant, and then get it to the point where it can actually be used. Do you know mm-hmm. like? What kind of timeline the company is looking at?
0: Like, I think initially we were looking at like two, three years. And now you're okay. looking at six years. Really depends. Because, you know, the, the big thing with biomedical implants is getting approval right. um, to get onto the market. So, in America, you have the FDA. Mm-hmm. Um, and then in Europe, you can get your CE mark. And then you know there's kind of equivalent agencies then in like Japan and China, other parts mm-hmm. of the world, Australia um but i guess fda is the big one for us now and that can take anything up to a year to like 5 years so that's what we're kind of building on at the moment is is getting fda approval so um th- that's the big stopper I, I think from a biomedical point of view that, that that's that's where you get your biggest issues cuz i guess you can have an amazing product, something that works perfectly, but mm-hmm. unless it gets approved, it, it means nothing. Right. You know. Um, so, but it, it's really interesting. I think from my point of view, initially, I didn't know if I wanted to go into a startup or join a big company, but I think from a startup, it's just amazing to see something start from, you know, from really basic designs that I'm just kind of drawing up on solid works to something that could actually end up in a human being and helping someone's life
2: and mm-hmm. seeing that
0: whole like journey in between is just is like incredible and it's like I'm just I'm so like motivated to see it through now. Yeah. Um that, you know, it makes you love your, your job and, and and the guys I work with are, are are brilliant and they're just they're so wise in this industry, but it still is a learning experience for us all.
2: I mean you get since there's so few of you, you get a lot of like hands on experience with what's going on, right? Whereas I mean if you're a big company then yeah, you're really not. You're gonna do like a very small portion of whatever the overall mission is.
0: Yeah, exactly. Sometimes you feel like like a little fly, like on the wall. If you're like just so small in a big company, and I was just like, mm-hmm. I don't want to. I don't want to feel like that yet. <laughs> um. So I'll do the I'll do the startup route first and gain as much experience and knowledge as I can. And when you're young, you don't have that much as much to lose, you know. So, um, I thought. Thought it'd be a good idea, and I haven't regretted it since, really. Because I mean, I was thinking of going back to America at the start, but when this job came up and I got straight away in the interview, I just got a really good feeling, and I said, "No, I want to mm-hmm. go with this." Um. So yeah, and I was, I was actually in Canada when I was making that decision for last summer for two, three months. um so after final year, um, we went on like a J one with a couple of friends, where you kind of work abroad mm-hmm. for a few months. You get a visa to work. And uh so we just kind of worked and partied, I guess, for a few months out there, which was nice. Um, but I was ready to come back home to Ireland. I wasn't ready to go away to America again. Mm-hmm. So yeah.
2: Um, this is neither here nor there, but I, I don't want to forget okay. it. So while I was <laughs> this is just this is something random. Um, so. <laughs> so when I was trying to like find out more information about you, I you know, type your name into Google. I type in Galway and I yeah. find that there's a designer and a hat shop yes. with your name. So, yeah, I, I was, I was no like, things. I'm sure you probably heard that, that it exists.
0: <laughs> yes. There's a woman called Fiona Mangan also that designs hats. There's also a lawyer, Fiona Mangan. Fiona is such a common name in Ireland. Okay. I like every second person. I Definitely in Galway, anyway, is called Fiona. Yeah. Um, yeah. I thought you were going to say you found me when we were 16 and I was like, Oh
2: no. <laughs> Whoa, wait, wait, wait. So what happened when you were 16 that I'm not oh, supposed like,
0: to find? When I was 16, I decided to set up my own company with a couple of girls. We made a, an application to teach sign language uh-huh. and we joined a, com- or a competition called Junior Achievement. So at the time, I mean, that's just like nearly eight years ago, uh, you know, smartphones and the apps, they, they were just like developing gaming, but there was no ap- application to teach sign language, our sign language now, specifically. Right. And so we were like, this would be a great idea. Let's, you know, let's make this a thing. And we like videoed a bunch of um, sign language and like made our own graphics and things and compressed all, all into application, put it onto the Android market and onto the Apple market. And mm-hmm. we joined the Junior Achievement Competition and we ended up winning our county and then we went won our national competition and then we went to Romania and competed against seven to two other countries and we ended up winning that as well and so all of a sudden we were we just couldn't believe it like the whole year just like went so quickly and all of a sudden we were on the late late show which is like a tv program back mm-hmm. in Ireland being interviewed by like um Ryan Tubridy who was like a famous presenter talking mm-hmm. about our our application and our company and, and we got funding from do you have dragon's den in america something similar uh, it's called
2: shark tank here but yeah shark
0: tank. yeah so we went on to that and we got funding for that to pursue and so that was when we were 16 and then we got into fifth year which is the start of your leaving cert year which is like your big exam so you have, you have two years where you're preparing for your big exams mm-hmm. and then we were just like no we're, we're not pursuing this company anymore um we got you know, we got our exams to do, and I guess that's when like that just went down the drain again. But it was like it was such a fun year. We learned so much,
2: but so, it's kind I mean, what, of so. What happened to it? So, so the app exists; it's out there, and yeah. then you, you just stop support or like what? I mean, what yeah, happens if that just, was part of the cycle?
0: Like, you see, we were just six, like we were just sixteen, and we were just like we were just four girls, and like it was just kind of like, oh, that was our that's our hobby done now. We're finished. And so we just let it, we literally just let it go completely. Mm-hmm. Um, like our funding was like a, you know, it was like a seed funding. So it's not like we had to give them back 10% whenever we failed oh, filled. Okay. And it was like a, just a, a once off. Um, and so like the app and I was completely off the market. And, and actually any money we did make from the app, we gave back to the deaf community. Because we never had put our own money into it. We'd always sourced for funding and we were mm-hmm. doing this out of funds. So any of the money we got, we just gave it back to the people we'd been working with. Mm um so you know we never made a profit from it and so then the app just got taken down completely but it's kind of funny because I guess that startup vibe you know during even after that year I don't know what I don't know what switched in me like in the last two years but I was like oh I'm never doing a startup again That that's too stressful Mm -hmm. you know and I think I just I guess I went through a period when I was like 17 18 19 of just being more of like a rebel of not a rebel but more into drinking and going out and mm-hmm. so that's why I always thought like startups and triathlons and things like that it's, it's something I'd never do like you know mm-hmm. and it's only now in the last two three years is I'm doing exactly what my 16 year old self would have thought as <laughs> totally uncool and weird <laughs> do you know well, that? I, think
2: <laughs> I, I guess for me at least like triathlon and entrepreneurship and like yeah it's it's good stress like there's a it's, the yes. term for it is eustress um so like instead of distress it's eustress so eustress mm-hmm. is like a positive kind of stress mm-hmm. and and so it's like like you experience with triathlon like you do it and you're like that sucked like I don't want to do that again and then something after you start feeling better you're like no I think maybe I think maybe I'll do another one yeah you know I I don't I can't tell you how many times I finished races and I mean, there've been times I've ended up in the medical tent because I raced too hard and it just God. had a terrible day and overheated and wanted to, like, I, so I've been racing triathlon. This is my 11th year of triathlon, 18 years of endurance sports. And I've said, this is dumb. Why am I doing this? I'm never doing this again, dozens of times. Yeah. And yet <laughs> I continue yeah. despite all that um I think in part because I like training, but it's that like positive stress, like like you're experiencing now with the startup, and you see that product in in the beginning, and it's it's a ton of stress where you're like, how how are we possibly going to make this a thing?
1: Mm.
2: And there's all the stress of like figuring it out, and then the high of figuring it out, and then more stress as you're like, oh, okay, now we have to get FDA yeah. clearance. It's just I know,
0: this, this and up and down. It, it's up and down. And one of the things I always find is that, like, if there isn't a little bit of, if you call it, if you want to call it stress, I just find I don't get things done in the day and I don't have a purpose. Yeah. Like, I find, like, if I was, like, totally, like, relaxed and if I was content every single day, then I, then you wouldn't go anywhere get right. I me. Mean? Now, yeah. everyone is different, but that's just the way, it's just the way I see things. Like, I just, I love waking up in the morning and, and having, like, having a to-do list and having things. Having a purpose, and I think that's why I got, really got into triathlon. It's because I like orientate my day now around around my training,
1: mm.
0: and and I also think the stress or the intensity of the startup matches the intensity of triathlon. So, if I was working a really really boring job, I would you know the way like one gets relief from the other, where mm. like you might have had a hard day at work, and I always need to find that I need to have a hard session in order to counteract my hard day at work. And then be at like, you know, a peace again. <laughs> mm-hmm. Whereas, like, I think if I had like two two completely different levels, I'd I'd find it hard to to completely like zone out of the other, you
1: know. Mm-hmm.
0: But but that's just the way I am, and I think everyone finds their way of relaxing and meditation in different ways. But I guess for me, it's it's just matching that intensity of something else that's going on in your life, you know. Now that, don't be wrong. Don't get me wrong. I love yoga and, you know, and that Zen zone as well, but. Um that's just how I see my my work-sport balance, right. if you get what I mean.
2: Right. And I, I mean, a lot of people I've talked to say something along the lines of like, I like being busy or like, I, I feel better about life when I'm busy. Yeah. I, I like to say, for me, I think it's not just a matter of being busy. I, I bring it back to, um, I say, progress is happiness. If I'm making Mm. progress, then I'm happy. Mm. And then I like to relax. I like to sit and watch Netflix and and do those things too. But it's like say say for some reason this wouldn't happen because I'm not at that stage, but say somebody bought my companies and I have enough money that I never have to work again and I can just sit on the couch and watch Netflix all day. Yeah. I'm I'm gonna be miserable after a week or two. Yeah. Like I need something. (laughs)
0: And, it, and that's kind of funny, because that is that, that the, you know, you know, in the startup world, people do have that conversation where it's like, yeah, we can get sold tomorrow, like we could be in Hawaii right now, drinking cocktails. But I mean, one of the companies right beside us is a prime example of, I guess it's, is it is an A1 personality, but basically they sold their company mm-hmm. and they, they could have probably not worked for 10 years, but a month later, they're back again and they're starting up and they're just yeah. as stressed as they were
1: yeah.
0: with their very first company. I mean, you can see them running around the place, just like us. And I'm like, but you could be, you know, on a beach right now. Yet you chose to be here. So I I know exactly what you mean. You just, you want to see that progress. You want to see that line kind of going up.
2: Yeah. It's like my my business manager, he actually, he's retired. He, I met him at a retail job just because he worked there to have something to do. Yeah. But he planned on... Going to Mexico, um, where he has a he has a significant other in Mexico and just living there, not working. Mm -hmm. And he said by like I took him to the airport in December and then by I think March, he started to go crazy. He just been he was sitting on the beach for three months and he was like, I can't I can't do do it. Yeah. So you know, and I I don't know how many times I've heard that story. Yeah. I need something. And and he doesn't yeah. he doesn't want to start a company. He doesn't want to do But he just it's just a retail shop. They sell shoes. Like it, mm. it's not complicated, but it's something and interacting with people and yeah. So I, I think the idea of like let's let me I'm gonna retire and do absolutely nothing for the rest of my life is a little flawed.
0: Mm, completely. Yeah. And I think I even see my grandparents now and if anything, they've like completely rejuvenated after they retired and they're exploring like completely other parts of their lives yeah. and the world and things. And so, you know, that's my goal is to actually once they retire is actually start another life again. Yeah. But I guess not even thinking of that right now.
2: <laughs> <laughs> I, th- I, don't know, I, th- I think it's good to dream. Like I think about it from time to time because yeah. it's like, there is a lot of stress and like trying to build a company and like, for me right now, I'm trying to find guests to come on the podcast, and there's yeah. just all these little things It's like, ah, you know, if I could just get rid of all these things that are stressing me out, then I could do whatever. But it's like, no, I mean, I still want to do something. I guess the upside for me is if that scenario occurs where, you know, you have enough money to retire and retire, like early retirement is a big movement right now. Um, I think it gives you the opportunity. To do things you wouldn't otherwise be able to do you know what i mean
1: mm-hmm. like
2: i've talked about um with my girlfriend i talked about hey if we get to this point let's open an ice cream shop mm. like you're not gonna make a lot of money in an ice cream shop but if you're doing it for fun you have all the money you need like you need to take care of yeah then that takes away some of the stress of doing yeah. that thing
0: but <laughs> even i i agree and i i love talking about like that like hopes and dreams and things like because I mean even if you never open up an ice cream shop, it's so nice to have someone to share that idea with you, yeah, and then you can you can talk about that story about the ice cream shop that may never happen again, yeah. but I think that, I think there's there's people that just dream like that and hope like that and may never be executed and i think yeah. I think it always makes life seem more fun and it and it makes exactly what you do at the time you get a different perspective on it, yeah and one of the, one of the things like this is made going like kind of deep, we were one, we were all saying that like ha- happiness is how you perceive it to be mm-hmm. so you know it's something is 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 actually if something is sad it's 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 how your head has processed it mm-hmm. so you could actually be happy like 99% of the time if you're able to like program your your mind to be in that way let's say and mm-hmm. so if if setting up if the hopes of setting up an ice cream shop you know all of a sudden brings you happy, then you're going to look at something else like a minute later, an hour later, and have a complete different view on it.
2: Mm-hmm. That makes sense. <laughs> yeah. No, I'm with you. It's, it's just like programming about thinking about, Yeah. I, I'm already in a state of happiness. So, I'm more likely to perceive the thunderstorm exactly. and rain outside as a happy event versus something yeah, that's very exactly. sad. <laughs>
0: <laughs> yeah. And I guess actually like, I, I don't know how you approach like your races in general, but like I used to get, i get quite stressed over them and
1: mm-hmm. anxious
0: and nervous. And you, know, you get those belly like our butterflies and you end mm-hmm. up going to the toilet like four times <laughs> and like yeah. different things like that. But I've, I found how the, the way I perceive a race actually changes my race completely. And it's only in the last few now that I've been able to see the difference in yeah. my state of mind before the race. And then yeah. how I perform. Yeah. And and I, that's only recently that I'm learning that. And and I'm finding it, like something I really, really want to work on.
2: Well, it's, go, sorry, go ahead. No, go ahead. Um, just for for me, I always found like in, so I ran collegially, I ran on a scholarship
1: mm-hmm. and
2: I found my best races were always when I wasn't concerned about the outcome. I was just I wanted to have fun. Yeah. And there were certain races during cross country, and when I was like, I really love this course, and I I, I know the course, and I, I yeah. just got going out to have fun. And it's taken me a long time to translate that to triathlon since I wanted to be a professional for so long.
1: Yeah.
2: Um, but this year has been, at least for me, a, a kind of transformation. And going back to just like, I'm just doing this for fun, like the national championships this mm-hmm. weekend, and then. I'm now six, so I'm canceling going to the national championship, which would have been like such a big deal
1: Mm. in
2: past years. Where it's like, I mean, you know, I train six days a week, 11 months of the year to do this race. Yeah. But like, I know in the grand scheme of things, it's just one race. Mm -hmm. There will be more national championships, and like, I'll be fine. So like because mm. if, if I can't go and have fun like if I'm sick and I'm racing and I'm miserable mm. why am I doing it now? exactly
0: exactly and I mean that's one of the things you always have to step back i think and and it's great because it's only it's only recently now with things like podcasts and and shows and athletes actually athlete, actually opening up especially like females athletes opening up a lot about different things at the moment like nutrition and things and mm. one of the main things people are pointing out is like just ask yourself, at least once a week, are you having fun doing this? Yeah. And and it's only since being like exposed to these people's opinions that that we've been able to incorporate that into our own training as or into my own training anyway. You know, mm-hmm. since I I started seriously getting back in or I guess starting a new life in triathlon in October, and I said, okay, this is it. I'm I'm getting a coach now, and I'm gonna put my head down and and see what I can do because all the little frustrations and injuries and, and travel and then partying I was just like I just want to put that aside and see what I can do now for you know the next year and so mm-hmm. I started in October but one of the things I just had to constantly remind myself is am i I'm making sure I'm doing this for fun and I'm enjoying it and I started then started getting into duathlon races in February March um and my first few like I was I was more nervous than normal because I know I had trained for these races whereas Mm -hmm. other races I had done was like oh like this is me new to triathlon or oh I'm in America this is fun I'm gonna do travel with my friends and yeah like I I I was like obviously serious and had trained for them but here because I told myself in October that this was my focus and my purpose for the next few months I felt like this this new pressure on top of me but in a good way like I, Mm -hmm. I didn't want it to be like a bad cloud I wanted it to be like a good cloud um so it just entering those races I was like okay like you know this is a new this is going to be a new game and mm-hmm. I'm like I was just much more competitive in them um and then in the last few I'd done and actually those first two duatlons I did quite well and so my third duathlon um, to finish off the duathlon series I was just much more relaxed because I was like actually this training is paying off And I am really enjoying these races and especially I'm meeting a really good crowd at these races. And you're seeing the same faces again, that it's almost comforting. Um, Mm -hmm. And so I did like quite well in those three, four races. And I ended up winning my age group in Ireland um, for, for the duathlon series. And then that got me started then for the triathlon series, uh, the national series for this summer. Um, And that was the same, same kind of feelings again, because you had the swimming now and it was like, Mm -hmm. Oh, uh, I had been working quite a bit on my swimming and um, yeah I know it's it, it's been fun so far but I'm still, I feel like I'm still so at the early stages to some of you know the athletes like you might have um, interviewed before who, mm-hmm. who who had already like pro experience for a few years and are now getting out of it or, or are now starting a new sport whereas right. like I'm just, I'm hoping to see I'm hoping to try and keep going from now and um, see where it goes but
2: yeah, I, I would like, just say, like, just keep that in mind. Like, am I yeah. having fun? And make sure that yeah. that's the main thing. Because if you're not, it, it goes back to my t- I, I, this. The, the podcast has been, a, a, like, cathartic for me in some ways. It goes back to a conversation I had. I think it's episode six with Chris Douglas.
1: Mm.
2: And he shared a story where he, like, passed out a mile from the finish line because he'd gone too hard and overheated. And like the whole moral of what he learned from that was just like it doesn't really matter. like at the end of the day, even if you win, it doesn't mm-hmm. matter that you won. It doesn't matter that you're a second. like what matters is you know your friends, your family, the people that love you, yeah, and exactly. kind of what you're doing in life. So I think bringing that fun back to a central part of like, am I having fun pushing myself and racing and doing all of these things helps guide you to stay in a healthy place. You
0: know exactly I mean? yeah. exactly, and I think I mean it even comes down to like simple things like recovery in your training it's like recovery for your mind like you're the only way you can you can stay I think in a sport like this for a long time and not burn out is to keep that like brain recovery where it's like you're mm-hmm. doing this for fun your friends and family are around you just very just like your body reco- that you need like to recover mm-hmm. it's Like it, go- it goes hand in hand like not a doubt, because you can get burnt out just from seeing burnt out just from seeing a training schedule in front of you. As yeah. you can get burnt out from doing the training schedule. It's yeah. like it's like that that mind body like you know balance or euphoria. Like it's yeah. yeah. So yeah, keep it fun.
2: We're, uh, <laughs> yeah, we're running running out of time here. Fiona, yeah. so I'll I'll ask you okay. the question I ask everybody else. Um, okay. If you watch Breyfjot's Breyfjot's episode, you already know this question, but. Um, if you have to pick one food for recovery to eat for the rest of your life, what do you choose?
0: Uh, bread and butter.
2: <laughs> oh so no, I, like,
0: there's, there's nothing better than like a really fresh loaf of bread out of the oven with a dollop of Kerrygold or French salted butter. I, I, I'd eat that all day and I, I probably have had days where i've only eaten bread and butter
2: <laughs> that's a solid answer I'm, just, <laughs> I'm sure your bread is better than what we're picking up in the store, is that so. okay an answer? <laughs> no, hey it's your answer that's fine um uh, <laughs> if people want to see what you're up to where can they find you
0: um so i guess instagram my instagram page that's so f underscore mangan m-a-n-g-a-n um yeah, that's, I guess, my main page. I mean, I have Snapchat and Facebook, but I'm not very active.
2: On yeah, those... like we are talking about, not doing everything with triathlon. It's not real easy to be <laughs> super active. Yeah, yeah is, so. no, I only
0: want to work, like, two jobs at a time, not a third one.
2: <laughs> yeah, yeah. So, it's been great talking to you, Fiona. Thanks for coming on.
0: Yeah, you too, Jesse. Thanks so much for having me.